following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. But we do have to bring the Apostles' Creed to an end. Uh, we're to the amen. We're to the, I believe, in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen, or amen, depending upon where you're from. And so the same word, same meaning. And so... We come now to the end of a series, a series that I was at some level a little um, nervous about starting because we normally just go through a book of the Bible and we work through that. That's my comfort zone uh, and it's your expectation. But as we have engaged the Apostles' Creed and studying it, I hope that it has been a blessing to you and encouragement uh, on the theological framework that you have and what that you uh, believe as your system uh, of doctrine uh, that shapes and frames and gives the narrative by which you live your life. Uh, I heard early on some of uh, you coming and, I guess lovingly, asking how long this series was going to be. And uh, I wanted to introduce you to Donald Gray Barnhouse, the former senior pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, who preached Romans for 10 years. So four months, months, folks, ain't nothing at all. And so we could spend a lot more time on these incredible truths. But what we've understood about the creed is this. We say, I believe, not I know. That this is what we believe to be true. It does shape us in that way where it forms us in our community of knowing who else we're with. It gives us clarity in our own thought, counsel to our own souls, counsel to uh, others who are with us. Uh, it gives us a balance and a symmetry to our theological framework so we don't uh, get out of skew and, and move from one side to another in an unhealthy way. It, it is a reflection of God's Word. It is not God's Word, and so it is subordinate to God's Word. And so we're not studying the creed, we're studying God's Word and allowing the creed uh, to guide and direct the conversations each week. And so we're wrapping up this week, and then next week we will begin uh, with our, as we do each summer, our Summer in the Psalms, uh, beginning with Psalm 19. So if you want to get ahead uh, and pre-read, you can begin there, and we'll be moving through that. Uh, this summer, and looking forward to spending time in the, the poetry and in the beauty uh, and the art, as it were, uh, of God through the Psalms and the psalmists. So now, though, we come and we will, at least in this series for the last time, if we would stand together, and I invite you in this standing and uh, recitation of the Creed to both say, this is what I uh, am pledging my allegiance to, but this is also what helps me to defy every other narrative that is out there in the world. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And so we come now to, I believe, in the resurrection of the body and the life 
everlasting. Amen. So let it be. So let it be done. And the passages of Scripture that we are looking at come from 1 Corinthians and from Revelation. They're very um, common passages for this topic. For as we look to Christ and we recognize that name of Christ, we look to this fourth, as it were, a chapter of God's great or scene of God's great cosmic drama. Oh, there was the fall, uh, there, is, uh, there was creation, then there is the fall, then there is redemption, and then there's glory. And we look forward to that time uh, of the not quite yet. That we have a foretaste of it. That as being together, we're in foretaste of the beauty of what is to come. When you have a meal together, uh, it is a foretaste of the meals that we share uh, together there. When we laugh, when we rejoice together, it's a foretaste of this glory that is to come. But not a full taste that is coming, that is still to be. And so hear the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under God, that God, under him, that God may be all in all. And then in Revelation, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and of the life everlasting. The first thing that we need to see, and I'm not going to spend much time on it, we've spoken about it uh, previously when we talked about Christ's resurrection, uh, but it's this, Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our own resurrection. Because Christ was resurrected from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God, of God the Father, it guarantees, it is the down payment, it is the guarantor of the fact that we ourselves in Christ will be raised from the dead. And what it does is it highlights this reality. You need to deal with the resurrection. You either need to say, it isn't true, I don't believe it to be true, and if that's the case, then nothing else in the Scriptures matter. But if it is true, and it is, that Christ was raised from the dead, he wasn't another moral leader, he wasn't just another religious leader, you're not going to find the dust of bones and of his body uh, somewhere in the, in the ancient, in the new, uh, excuse me, in uh, Israel, but it's an empty tomb. And if he's raised from the dead, 
then everything in this book matters. If he's raised from the dead, then he is different from every other leader that has ever led a religion or a philosophy or a church. And he is the true king, the true God, who has defeated death itself, seated now at the right hand, and he demands homage to him. Just because of the simple fact that he's raised from the dead. So here's what I want you to do as part of your homework this week. Figure out what you believe about the resurrection. And folks, here's the thing about Christianity. It's an all or nothing kind of religion. You don't get to have Jesus Christ a little. We don't get to have him as Savior, but not as Lord, which so many people really want to to have. Uh, we, We kind of enjoy that in college, high school, maybe even into adolescence of, hey, I want my fire insurance. I want to know that I'm going to heaven, but I sure don't want it to impact or affect my life very much. I don't want him as Lord. Jesus says, I can't be either then to you. Because if I'm your Savior, I am your Lord. And I am the Lord, by the way, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to answer that question. And as you come to a biblical answer, you will see that Christ's resurrection was a foretaste and a guarantee for Christians that we will be raised from the dead. It's not a wish, but it is a deeply founded hope and reality. Because he lives, I will one day live with him forever. Because heaven is a spatial place and he is there in a new body. I now moving into the second point. First, he guarantees our resurrection. The second thing is that in the resurrection, we will be given a new body, a glorified, wonderful new body. Listen to Paul again in 1 Corinthians. For some of you will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body. This is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. So it is with the resurrection. Of the dead, what is sown perishable, what is raised then imperishable. The beauty of the resurrected body that we are given is this that we are raised with a new body, physical body, but imperishable. What we currently have is perishable. Amen? It's falling apart to your best effort. To all of your wealth that you spend trying to go and and have it propped up, tightened up, changed up, thinned up, whatever we do to it, folks, at the end of the day, it's falling apart. And what we've done by buying into the fact that this body is so important, yes, it is the temple of the spirit and we should care for our bodies. We've created an industry with an awful lot of wealthy people. Instead of recognizing this, I love my body, I'm going to care for my body, I'm going to beat it into submission, I'm going to feed it well, I'm going to take care of it in that way. But at the end of the day, I know that this isn't my hope, I'm getting a new one one day. Amen? That's what I think when I look in the morning. Thank God. I mean, I do try to recite what I tell you too, I'm a, I'm a, a child of the King, I'm blessed, I'm loved, I'm doted on by my Father in Heaven, but I'm getting a new one of these. And by the way, I'm not convinced it'll have a six-pack. I'm not sure that's glorified at the end of the day. You know, we've determined what is beauty. And I'll be interested to see what beauty, true beauty, looks like in the glorified heaven and the glorified earth. But I know this will be perfect and wonderful. 
Because it says that we have this new body. You see, Christians, our loved ones who are currently dead, are in a, as Scripture says, and I don't have time to read it, 2 Corinthians 5, a disembodied state. They are spiritual now, waiting for a day when Christ returns and they will gain their new body. They're not ghosts and they're not angels. I hear too often when someone has a loved one who dies and they say, now I have an angel looking out for me. No, you don't. We, we don't turn into cherubs. I just want you to know that. We don't. We, we stay who we are. The essence of who we are stays. We just don't have a body. And so Paul says, but that's not the end state. One day when Christ returns, all of those who have died in Christ will first be raised, given their new bodies. Then those who are still alive will, in Christ will be raised to join them in the clouds. And we'll all have these glorified bodies. We're not little angels. And we're not ghosts as much as you like to dream in your mind of haunting someone after you're gone. That's not the case. You see, the bodies that we currently have are under the influence of the fall. Remember chapter 1. That you were created perfect and beautiful. Man and woman in the image of God without shame, without blemish. But then sin entered the world and disintegration entered the world. That we became disintegrated in our relationships with one another. In our relationships with society and with creation and with God and with ourselves. Our bodies are disintegrating. If ever Presbyterians should say amen, that is it. Your bodies are disintegrating. You see it and you feel it every single day. And so what we gain is an imperishable body that has no effect of sin and death. A, a body that, that doesn't look at some level the same. It's different. They recognized Jesus, but he was different because he was in his glorified body. That he had a body that ate food, but it was also a body that could walk through a door. Its matter was different. It was substantially different from a, the, a regular body. That it is spatial. Folks, if you want to have an existential conversation with yourself today, think about this. Heaven is spatial. Christ is there, not in spirit form, but in body. In His glorified body. So it has space. And that He then is going to return one day. And we gain these new glorified bodies. And so I want you to know that. Know what you know. And don't worry about the other parts. Because here are a lot of questions that I get. Because there's an assumption that there is a class in pastoral training somewhere to answer all the questions that the Bible doesn't address. I don't know if baldness is an effect of the fall. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to see my father at the age of 59 or if I'm going to see him when he was younger. We lost children to miscarriage. I don't know if I'm going to see them as little or as grown. I don't know those things. But I know this, that we're all going to have glorified bodies. And so I'm not really worried about all the rest. Some of you ask very sincere questions. Will I know my loved ones in heaven? Will they know me? Go to the Mount of Transfiguration is where I would take you. That Christ is there with two of the saints, uh, there with Moses and Elijah. And he's there. And John and Peter and James are there. And they know each other. And I doubt it was because they had a little sticker that said, Hi, my name is. Somehow they knew him. I doubt Christ was like, Elijah, James, James, Elijah, Moses. It, it just, they knew each other. And so there's a sense in the new heaven that we'll know. We'll have a knowledge that transcends our current limited, finite knowledge. And so that I will know others and my loved ones 
in that way. So those are real questions that people ask and that you may be asking. But I want you to understand this. The scripture doesn't say specifically about those. But it does say this. You will be raised imperishable. How awesome is that? I mean, really? Yesterday we were working out. A few of us uh, guys thought it would be a good idea. I'm not sure it was. uh, To work out at 6.30 in the morning. And I was working out, and I got to know Zach Yelton a little bit better because one of our workouts was that I had to lean back against him, and he put his arms around me, and he had to drag me for like 25 yards. Zach has a beautiful voice, but I heard another part of his voice, and it sounded something like this, Ugh. <laughs> And I was like, 222 pounds of pure American red flesh right here, buddy, and drag your pastor right around. And I realized that, hey, this is great. There were guys out there who were strong, and there were guys like me who aren't. And then I thought this, one day, one day, it's all going to be made new and right. I'm not going to be sore. I'm not going to have to work out. It's going to be made the way that it's supposed to be made. These imperishable bodies with no effect of sin and death upon them. But it doesn't end there. It's not that you just get a new body. You get a new life. Because the creed says, I believe in the resurrection of the body, that these bodies will be resurrected. So there is a a theology of the body, that it is the temple of God, and that it will be resurrected uh, imperishable in all of its fullness. But I also believe in the life everlasting, that we will have a life together. So there will be more than just new bodies, there will be a new life. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, this holy city. That had come down, and behold, there was one who was there. He said, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, how awesome of a time that will be. There's a movement within the church that we want to try to help people see heaven as maybe more masculine in men's ministry. Maybe it's about hunters and gatherers and all of these masculine things. Maybe it needs to be more feminine for a woman. God didn't make it feminine and He didn't make it masculine. He made it awesome. He made it perfect. He made it so good that it would attract the heart of every man, woman, and child to say, I want to be in a place where there's no more tears. I look around I go, I can't wait for a day when there's no more cancer, when there's no more senility, when there's no more infertility, when there's no more death, when there's no more sadness. That's going to be a great day and it will be so worth it that I'll live forever in that. And I will bask in the presence of my God because what you saw in in the Corinthians, and it's subtle, but it's something you need to see, Christ's work at some level is done When the second coming happens, it says that he will now take creation with a defeated foe, everybody made right and new, all of his enemies cast aside, and he will present that to his father. And he will not need to reign anymore. So Christ's role somehow changes within that. It doesn't say that he is anything less than God, but it says that he's in a different function and a role. And so we will be with Christ, our elder brother, forever, with God the Father somehow present with us. And Jonathan Edwards says it is going to be an eternal life because it will take eternity to understand and get to know all that God is. For heaven is an unfolding of the very beauty and the perfections of God. 
Think about the person that you're in deepest, most intimate relationship with and the amount of years that you're with that person. And I let you know this, there's still more to know about them. Your entire life, you're learning something more about your beloved. You're learning something more. And it's the same way in eternity. You're learning something more. Yes, you will see him face to face, but it's something glorious and grand. And it it is worth your life. It is worth the here and now. To say for the 20 years, the 40 years, the 80 years that I have here, it is worth the eternity to do whatever I have to do now to gain that. It's that good. Right? How often do you think of heaven? Most people never consider a new heavens and a new earth until someone they love dies. Folks, think about it earlier than that. Young people who are heading off to college, you are going to be offered a slice of heaven. That's what fraternities and sororities offer you. That's what your philosophy class offers you. That's what all of the parties offer you. That's what all of that offers you. It's a little piece of heaven. Say, hey, this is heaven. This is worth it. Take a bite of it. Take a bite of this tree, and then you're going to have life. And you have to have a grounded theology well enough, and parents, you have to present it well enough to your kids to say, don't eat. Eat only of the fruit that gives you true life. You can make it through four years of college. Maybe you won't win the popularity contest, but that's okay. You get to go to heaven. It's worth it, isn't it? I hope it is. You see, we gain a better standing than even Adam and Eve experienced at the beginning. Because they had the opportunity to sin. Guess what? In heaven, the new heaven and new earth, there's no chance of sinning. We don't get to mess it up. So there's not going to be a second edition of this. Christ doesn't have to come back again and do it again. It's done once and for all. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end. So let it be written. So let it be done. Amen. So now let's just take a few minutes and put the grid of the creed against what we've been talking about. That idea of symmetry. That idea of clarity. That idea of community. That idea of counsel. Symmetry. The creed gives us, and I've already mentioned it, those four pictures of God, of creation, of the fall, uh, of redemption, and of glory. And like I said, not too many of you think about the glory part. Then you're out of balance. You're not fully healthy because you don't have a constant and a regular diet within your theology of what is to come. As Lewis said, be so heavenly minded that then and only then will you be of any earthly good. You see... It was used by Marx to say, oh, you see, those Christians in Russia, uh, those Christians say to the poor, say, and they oppress the poor, hey, we're going to continue to be rich. We're going to continue to be oppressive. That you poor people, you've got Christ and you can view heaven. Said that's the wrong thing. That was actually a part of the genesis of communism. But we're going to say this. I have such a view of heaven that I will be the most generous person to the poor. I have such a view of what is to come that I am willing to sacrifice this body. I am willing to sacrifice everything I have here for another person. I will do for the one what I wish I could do for the many. For some of you, you know that you can't help the many, so you don't help any. Do for the one what you can do for the what you wish you could do for the many. And so we have such a view of heaven that it leads us to this great and deep and profound love here. That symmetry. That we have. It brings us clarity. Anybody ever deal with stress, anxiety, worry, anger? Anybody? A few of you are honest. 
the rest of you, anybody deal with lying, lack of self-awareness? Yeah, that'd be the, the rest of you. But you see, when you have these lack, uh, when you have a lack of generosity, when you, when you have a, an anger issue, uh, when you fret a lot, when you're up at night wandering, and when you're constantly on your phones checking to see if the deal closes, and by the way, God will take care of you if you don't check your phone in church. The deal may or may not be there at the end of the day, but he'll still take care of you so you can put them down. And we worry and we fret and we're looking and we're constantly. And I was kidding with a teenager the other day, and then I realized he really didn't think it was funny when I walked up to him and I, he was checking Snapchat. And I said, so has anything happened in the last 30 seconds that didn't happen 30 seconds ago that's so important? He goes, <laughs> and he got up and walked off. <laughs> we're so worried that we're going to miss something. In the middle of it. And when you start to stress and you start to have worry, folks, if you have a car, it's the check engine light. It's the dummy light that is flashing and saying to you this. This is that clarity. It's bringing you a clarity to say something's wrong. You've placed your hope in the wrong things. You're stressed. And you need to look at that because something under the hood is wrong. We were one car down for a while because one of my sons thought that the flashing oil light was cute. <laughs> Dad, what does the flashing oil light mean? As I'm standing on the side of I-26 with the engine exploded. It means you should have gone to get oil yesterday, is what that means. So we get to buy a new car. It's a dummy light. And it's made for people who need them. So when it flashes, we go, oh, and so instead of just dealing with your anger, instead of dealing with your lack of generosity, instead of dealing with your anxiety, which is just a salve to a skin rash, go underneath and find out what the problem is and ask this question, what are you placing your hope in? Is it in this life or is it in the life to come? What are you worried about in the middle of it? If you could gain a perspective from 10,000 years from now, would it change what you're going through or how you're dealing with what you're going through now? Would it, do you think? 10,000 years from now, you're standing over here looking back at yourself in 2017. Do you think you'd have some commentary to say to yourself? Like maybe, relax. God is at work. God has a bigger plan for you than you know. You can trust him. You have eternity. He cares for you. He loves you. Rest. Don't worry about that. Give it away. Be more generous. Be more loving. But we live in the now. We are consumed with the now. And so what the Apostles' Creed does is it helps us get clarity into the time to come. Quickly and rapidly, community. Our understanding of the precious eternal nature uh, of heaven and of the new earth gives us now a new precious and eternal nature of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it shapes how we interact with them. Listen to C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to mere mortals. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to perpetually uh, be perpetually solemn and sober, somber. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Folks, you're in a room filled with people destined for eternity. Every single one of you will receive eternal life. 
The question is, will it be the eternal life of God in his beloved son, or will it be an eternal life of separation from him? Eternity matters, and who you're with matters. You're sitting next to extraordinary beings. You recognize that, right? Look next to the person. Look to a person next to you and go, you're extraordinary. Go ahead. Isn't that awesome? Half of you are going, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No. Come on, say it again. No, I'm not. Say it really one more time. No, 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 no. Come on, no. You're extraordinary. The community of faith is an extraordinary community of faith. Because when I look, what I need to see is instead of your faults, I need to see glimpses of your glory. I need to see the beauty and the perfections of Christ in you instead of going, how come you messed up again? That's the beauty of where we live and breathe and have our being now. It's different. And it's your view of what's to come. And then finally, counsel. It's again, where are you placing your hope? The events of the past few weeks have highlighted the quickness of where life comes to an end. Three young men in our community climbed into cars expecting to go home and see their families. And they're dead. Twenty-some Young people went to a concert, and they're dead. 29 of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt got on a church bus to go on a church outing, and they're dead. Where are you placing your hope? Where are you investing? Are you investing in the temporal nature of this world? Or are you investing in saying that there's something greater and beyond this world? Don't put all your investment here. There is not a good return on it. Invest in the things of the kingdom. In what ways are you showing that lack of concern for your eternality and that of your soul and of others? Life is eternal. We know that. And if we are in Christ, he says we get to be with him forever in that beauty. And it's based on what you believe. What you believe, not what you know, but what you believe. So do you believe these things to be true? Amen. Let's pray, and I'll invite the team to come up. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that it's not arrogant for us to say that we can know the mind of God. That it's not arrogant for us, that we, for us to say that we know your will. Because you beautifully condescended to give us your word. That we have the 66 books of scripture. And that we can know you. That you speak and we hear And we know this much about your message. You're coming back. And we look forward to that day. Be it today or be it in a thousand years. But I pray that we, your church, would be prepared. And that we would be of such heavenly mindsets. That we would be of some extraordinary earthly good. Loving one another deeply. Celebrating the beauty of God. Renewing our hearts and our minds. Living in deep community with one another. And looking forward to the day, Maranatha, when Christ returns. To him be all the glory.